0: Uh, the old bear's particular about his hot spiced wine. So much cinnamon, so much nutmeg, so much honey, but not a drop more. Raisins and nuts and dried berries, but no lemon. That was the rankest sort of southern heresy. Which was weird because he always took lemon in his morning beer. Listen, listen. I may be out here for Queen and Country.
1: And you'd better believe that when I go home, I'll be telling everybody that it was hardship and broken canvas and jungle fever, etc. But if there's no fucking lemon in my fucking morning breakfast tea, I will not be a fucking
0: happy chappy. Hello and welcome to part five of Shark Liverow's coverage of A Clash of Kings. It's the second book in George R.R. R. Martin's series, A Song of Ice and Fire, or um, if you're Want to be sort of more series like Game of Thrones, and um, we are about halfway through the book now. Uh, th- this is going to cover um, from page four four nine of the paperback, which is a chapter about Caitlin, which begins "It was full dark before they came upon the village." As far as another chapter by C- uh, Caitlin, which is two days' ride from Riverham, and that should be on a page five oh three. That's the section of book we're looking at today. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. Okay then, and uh, if you're just a very very brief bit of admin for start, if this is the first time you've come to us, what we do we take each of these books, break them down into ten parts, which run kind of in a similar way to the series, although you'll find a lot of the stuff gets mixed up because the book and series don't run in parallel quite so well. and, um, and we talk about it. So we give you a section of the book to read each de- each, uh, each week, and then we come in and uh, do a bit of discussion. Now next up, the start of this this part, as we said, begins with Catelyn. And she's praying. She's on her knees, Dave. She's praying to the seven gods. At once. All at once. Well, at she once. sort of picks them one at a time, doesn't she? she? I think she spends a lot of time in front of the mother. Uh, the, the, these seven gods are... It's a bit weird, isn't it? It's kind of a... Uh, I, I always find it hard to work out whether it's seven separate gods or seven parts of one god.
1: Ah well i which morris quite morris what's, that's not a word mirrors quite nicely the um uh you know the thing that uh, i think many many people from non-christian backgrounds think about christianity because christianity has this idea of the trilogy where hmm. you know you've got you, you know three in one one as three um you know and where it's It's accurate to talk about them being separate, but one at the same time. So I think George Martin's drawn. It's clear to me that with the whole seven gods thing, he's drawing quite a lot on what like kind of medieval Christianity looked like. Whereas with the old gods, you've got a more pagan thing. And with the red god, you've got a more kind of 20th, 21st century fundamentalist vibe to a religion.
0: Yeah, I think you're right because it, it's strange that there's never any sort of tales about these gods disagreeing with each other or anything like that, is it? It yeah, just yeah, seems yeah. like seven aspects of of, of of one god, maybe. Yeah. We could, could be wrong. But, um, if we could if you be. I really hope disagree. he hasn't
1: put too much thought into into, into writing about it, though. Like, I mean, I dig that he's put <laughs> a lot of thought into the background of his series, but creating an intractable theological dispute might be a yeah. bit much... <laughs> Yeah. something that is essentially <laughs> fictional you know
0: yeah the interesting th- thing about these these times we spend with Kate, with Catelyn when she's alone is that she uh, we see the sort of the real side of her really a lot of the time especially when she's a third person character or when she's actually just interacting with anybody she seems quite cold and calculating and you know fairly fair but there's not a lot of warmth there. But when you have these times alone with her, you see the sort of warmth and how she's frightened and hurt and, you know, loving. Mm,
1: mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it serves to make her um, sympathetic as well as kind of somebody that you're plugging for. Um, yeah. And she's really going through it here, isn't she? Like, you know, she's kind of, she's been doing sort of shuttle diplomacy back and forth for her son because she's less likely to be killed by the various people that she's had to go and talk to. And yeah. um and and here she is, this is on the eve of a battle which she was really, really hoping to prevent. And and there's this weird thing, isn't there, where in Caitlin, as well as being like a like a canny political operator, she's also got this mother's thing of like she has an extra stake in the war that nobody else has, which is the guy at the top is her son and all she wants mm. is for her family to be back home in Winterfell and for him to be safe. Um, so everybody else out on the battlefield is looking after their own skin and trying to, trying to advance the cause of their particular lord, but she's the only one who's like, and I stand to lose my son if I don't get this diplomacy right.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a real sense of foreboding here, isn't there? And yeah. we- Dark church overnight <laughs> praying for a battle that's
1: going to happen tomorrow. After yeah, this horrible the- conversation with uh, Renly and, and Stannis the night before as well, like where it's just like, I, I, don't know, I don't know what peacefulness looks like in Statesman, but not that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Catelyn rides back um, through this massive army. You get a sense of uh, just how big this this army is when she's, she's riding through. Um, they're all sort of forming up now because it's nearly daybreak, so it's nearly time for the battle, and she rides back through what's described as a forest of tall naked trees which are just all these lances pointed to the sky. Yeah, it's really atmospheric. And um there's this talk of the battle, the waiting for for the... Renly's having a, a chat with his uh his advisors like the lords who advise him on battle plans. And um I think it's I think it might be uh Sam's dad, uh, uh Randall Tally who w- wants to attack now before of course dawn. he does. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and uh <laughs> the
1: psychopathic R- Ren- father of a total coward of course he wants to attack as much as possible while there's no
0: life yeah i think he, he he's got a point though because um Re- he basically says look um Re- well R- renly says no Dawn's what we agreed yeah and Ran- mm-hmm. uh, Randall Talis says well yeah of course Dawn's what um they agreed cuz we'll be riding into the sun so we're not going to be able to <laughs> yeah, see it's what's going on an
1: excellent point isn't it yeah
0: but anyway uh Re- renly decides no we're going to we're going to we're going to offer battle at dawn, if you like. Yeah. Um, and he says uh, he wants Stannis to be you know, treated well and, I suppose, given a clean death. He knows that Stannis isn't going to surrender because it's not his style. But um, there's yeah. a bit of... Uh, <laughs> there's at least a, a smidgen of brotherly love there where he says kill him fairly quickly. <laughs> if that's what passes for brotherly love.
1: Lord... That's just hilarious. Like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send my armies out against him. I'm gonna do everything I can to shit him up before the battle. I'm definitely not gonna talk peace. But when you find him, behead him gently. Yeah, what's yeah. that about?
0: Yeah, he is still my brother, so uh, don't rape his corpse if you can avoid it. <laughs> yeah, that's the
1: level, isn't it? And I bet, I bet he seems <laughs> unpardonably like soft. He's just like, oh bloody Renly. Go on. Oh, don't rape my brother's corpse. Uh. (laughs) Ponce. Do you know, you can imagine them saying that, can't you, of him? And it's like, you are horrible people, all of you.
0: Yeah. Um, Caitlin makes one last ditch attempt to, to stop this war um, or stop this battle where she su- suggests this sort of putting together a big council um, of, with Rob and with Stannis and Renly to talk it over and settle it. Mm. And obviously this isn't anything like what anybody wants to hear at this point because yeah. uh, everyone is just the blood's up, aren't they? And, the, and the, the, they just want get, to get it done. Yeah. And uh, Renly, Renly says the time for talk is done. Now we see who is stronger. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking I was, I was so excited. i was thinking, you <laughs> this know, is this is gonna be great. <laughs> two massive armies. It's all kicking off. You know, yeah. I've got two tribes go to war in the back of my head, and I'm thinking <laughs> this is gonna be really good. Ramsay's got the numbers, but Stannis might have the terrain. You know, which way is it gonna go? And then, basically. Is, this shadow creeps into the... Oh, this shadow creeps into the tent. Renly says one word, which is cold. And then he's stabbed through the throat and it dies in a fountain of blood. What the
1: fuck? Well, precisely. I mean, we've been talking about this, you know, this is, you know, magic is returning and stuff like this. So I suppose something like this was, was on the cards. Mm. Question mark, exclamation mark. But yeah. I mean, really, what the fuck? Like, you really, yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because he's he takes this huge plot right turn, having yeah. like having told you about all these battles that are happening elsewhere that you never get to witness. Because um, there's loads of battles. Rob's fighting battles all the time. The Lannisters are fighting battles all the time. Stannis has fought battles to get to this point, and then um, and then you're like, right, fine, fucking, finally, all of these all of these battles are going to add up to this one battle It's going to be immense and then he goes uh, magic <laughs> and I don't know about you but I suffered a crisis of faith at this point in George Martin I was yeah. like alright this is dramatic and I definitely see how this gives us some
0: juice but come on <laughs> you, know you know what, what? I mean? I'm, that, that's really funny because I was going to ask you do you think this is a the first like real? Do you think this is the first real misstep in the in the series? In the real right thing, hmm. yeah. Because I um, because I thought when I read this the same, I thought I, I was just I didn't like it because I thought mainly because I, I I love the the politics of this and and things like that and that's the bit of the story that I really find interesting. And when this happened, I was like, that's just not fair (laughs) it's just like outside the, the the rules even when even with the you know allowing for backstabbing and breaking oaths and things like that this is another step beyond and it's sort of just like now you can't really from this point I thought well I can't put a hundred percent faith in how these things are coming together, yeah. because at any moment, once someone could just get assassinated by a shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, I think that's quite a good shorthand, isn't it,
1: for an extremely risky narrative decision, like jumping the yeah. shark, the shadow assassin. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just somebody could get killed by their own shadow or somebody's shadow, and that's the other thing, isn't it? Is that instead of instead of this moment that's like really dramatic and you know what's going to happen or you know the setup you understand the world now you're like what's going on mm. and i think you kind of have to allow an author to do what they've set out to do do you know what i mean you've got to let a book set out to to be what it wants to be and with this scene it's very clear that george martin wants this book to be about magic and like yeah. he's done enough so far to convince me that he knows what he's doing mm. but but that's like, that's an item of faith at this point. You know, I'm yeah. kind of going, all right, I'll go with you, but you better make something out of this. And the difficult thing about this is that for the rest of this section, at least, there isn't really an explanation. Like, um, no. Like, uh, I mean, as we'll see, people think that Brienne did it, people think that uh, Catelyn did it, um, but. You don't know who did it, and you don't know why. All you know is the battle scene's gone away, yeah. and and it's a bit. It. Yeah, exactly. You are a bit like sort of, like for all that you know. I I'm I'm thinking. All right, I'll, I'll go with you. Let's see where you're going with this. That doesn't change the fact that this this really feels like a letdown.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely I definitely felt that, and um, I think, I mean. But uh, Catelyn said, pretty much says she recognised the shadow, and it was it was Stannis, so she thinks it's something to do with. She thinks Stannis is behind it. Brienne thinks that as well because she vows to kill him, doesn't she? Yeah. And I, I was thinking with that, well, okay, if it is Stannis, um, and he's got some super secret weapon, which seems to be magical, obviously it is magical. Um, it has to be. I, I thought mm-hmm. the only way this is going to work is it, it has to be difficult to use. If he's just got yeah. this. Th- this weapon, which you can just whenever you want, whenever things are getting a bit dicey, he pulls out another fucking shadow baby. Yeah. Then um, it's just going to ruin the whole sort of tension. Yeah. So I, I was thinking at this point, and we'll find out if it's true later on. You know, hopefully this isn't some. This is something that comes to cost. It's not just a, a free move for Stannis because yeah. it's just going to ruin it.
1: Yeah, I mean, so yeah. So I want to see what's going to balance this because if it is, like you say, if he just gets gets like an extra shadow roll the shadow dice hmm. then all of a sudden this has gone from being a really fascinating story about a massive war to being a, a totally anticlimactic climactic this character that i really hate working for people that i've no reason to like yeah wins you know what i yeah. mean like you've got to. i really hope yeah, so what i'm thinking is at this point george you had better have something equal to this to balance this force, otherwise this isn't so much a story as it is an- I'm, looking, I'm looking another five volumes
0: of a shrug right in the face, and I could do without that <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's not come off the rails with this, but it's definitely sort of taken a wobble hasn't it, and you've just got to trust that the author knows how to, yeah, to keep yeah, it yeah. on course Well, and if there's anybody who does, then it's our
1: George Don't it's call him George. the G-man for nothing So Exactly They don't call
0: him the G-man at all Moving on <laughs> Yeah, we've we've kind of pretty much dropped that, haven't we? Earlier in the, uh, I think in the first book, we used to refer to him as that, and we both realised that it wasn't working. So it's just, I think George Martin is what we call him now, like almost like kind of like George Michael's half brother.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was just a horrible image.
0: Uh, Um, Okay, so so, um, says about what happened here. She says death came in through that door. Mm. And um, and she she's she tries to convince the, these two members of the Rainbow Guard, the fabulous Rainbow Guard, turn up. <laughs> the fabulous and, um, Rainbow Guard. <laughs> and obviously they they sh are shocked. And the first guy, Sir Emin Coy C-U-Y, how do you reckon you say that?
1: Yeah, I suppose you'd have to say Coy, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. So he he when he turns up, Sir Emin Coy, he um immediately thinks it's Brienne. Mm. And uh, sort of starts fighting her, and um, she's holding off a couple of other men at arms as well. Uh, all the time, Catelyn's speaking to this other this other member of the guard called Robar Royce, and um, he's this softly spoken guy that I think we we came across in the last chapter, and he's oh. um he actually sort of is unsure about what's happened, but kind of comes down on Catelyn's side in the end mm. and thinks, yeah, you know, there's no reason either of these two people would have killed him. Mm. And in the end he says... I'll referring to the other people who are who are trying to get into the tent now. He says, "I'll hold them," mm. and sort of steps out of the door. It's kind of a heroic moment for him because he absolutely um, he's got one very difficult decision to make, and um, he takes the difficult route rather than the easy one. The easy one would just be to blame these two and have done with it. Yeah, well, crucially, um, these
1: two women, isn't it? Like yeah. they've been alone in there and and every night there. Once again, showing that the chivalrous vows to protect women go about as far as treating women as like like chess pieces, or perhaps particularly nice pieces of furniture. And once they're actually involved in anything, they're seen as a nuisance and a danger. Yeah. Um, uh, whereas you've got this one character who's like, actually, no, I don't believe you did this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put my put my sword put my sword where your enemy's mouths are, um, <laughs> if you like. Um, i tell you what I did like about this as well was that this, this whole like scene after it happened um, was was played much stronger for me in the book than in the TV series because in the TV series you've had I think at this point you've had sort of you've not had very much time with Renly and yeah. um, you've, uh, you've not had very much time with Brienne even less you know she just kind mm. of turns up and he's a bit of a badass with a sword and then asked to join the King's Rainbow Guard and he says yes for reasons that aren't clear to anyone and then he dies yeah and so yeah. you're like you don't really have the same sense of this developing relationship between um brienne and the king and brienne and catelyn um uh and it all just plays a lot better and i had a much stronger sense of of the world at this point and like these these circumstances and how strong they were and how dangerous it all was um yeah yeah i, I liked i in the book this was just much richer
0: yeah, and it's funny because what you say about Renly, we probably spent more time with Renly. Sort of, if you look at the the TV series, as a proportion of all the minutes on screen, mm. Renly's got quite a high proportion compared to the number of pages that is in the book by this stage. I that's but quite true, I, yeah. but 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 I think he does still come across as a really rounded character in the book, mm. um, just through the the short periods that we've spent with him um here's an interesting question um do you think he would have been um a good king and do you think Uh, he would have been uh, out of the choices the best one because that's very much what brienne says later on
1: i think that's a very interesting question um i think he's a bit of a well more than a bit he's an absolute peacock um hmm. and that doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad king but it, it doesn't tend towards you being a good king and he's young and he's arrogant and he's very very powerful but he does seem to like being liked and in a certain kind of person that can lead to responsible leadership and certainly it's better for a king to want to be liked by his people than it is to be for a king to be joffrey who's basically almost completely divorced from his people and like they're yeah. just they're just that smelly bunch of fuckers over the wall. I never leave. Um, mm. Whereas you know, I think Renly would have been a, a lot more responsive. He's a lot more media friendly, isn't he? And yeah. and perhaps that's what the kingship needed after Robert, whose primary public presence was his cock. Like mm. you know, you need you need. Perhaps Renly would have been good. Certainly better than Stannis, who doesn't give a shit whether anybody likes him.
0: Yeah, seems um, to, to actively yeah. act to
1: avoid people liking him. You know.
0: Yeah, I I think when I I, I thought reading this that um, George Martin's pretty much set Renly up to be sort of the perfect king that never was really because he seems to have the qualities of, in Robert which made him the few good qualities about him being mm. a great leader which is he's very bold. You know, he's he's ridden ahead with his um, with his cavalry here and his left the. Uh, with his, sorry with his mounted men and his, his left the footman behind um he, he's obviously he, he takes ruthless decisions when he needs to but he's also um, seems a lot more responsible and he like you say yeah he is he is well loved by people and mm. he, he, he likes being liked but at the same time he seems to have this easy way with people where he can tell them what to do without them feeling like it's an order mm. and it's just that's one of those really good qualities and leadership and it just seems that um I, I very much felt from the way this has all been written that it's that it's this great tragedy of this is the sort of the, the the king that would have really um been good for the realm at this point and he's been removed through these rather you know shady means
1: sinister means isn't it yeah um yeah i i i think that's a really good read um but we'll
0: never know will we Alas. never know. And uh, Brian and Catelyn escape, and um, and they they, they make the way. I mean, are you okay with them escaping at this point? They sort of cut their way <laughs> to the side of a tent and wander off as um, everyone's going mental. Yeah,
1: it's a bit questionable. Although you know these camps are big big tent cities. You know they are chaotic. They are difficult. You know, and they're women. Once you've left the immediate vicinity, nobody's going to be like, I think you're the murderers in yeah. this In this tent city full of men with sharp swords, I reckon it was the women yeah um, that 's a good point, so yeah um, uh, huh. I buy it, although you would be fucked if they didn 't wouldn 't you
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> there 's another point of view, character mind
1: you, mind you maybe maybe this is George Martin showing a little bit of um, self control at this point because he 's not shown himself to be um shy about killing people that you 'd really prefer not to see killed i mean he 's just off rently so <laughs> Yeah, you exactly. Know, yeah. I, there's a bit of me that's like, could you see him killing Catelyn as well?
0: I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> no, no, exactly. I don't think anyone's safe. I think that the point when um, Ned lost his head was the point where you realise, <laughs> yeah, nobody's safe. Exactly. Here, but... Shit. All bets are off. Yeah. Um, okay, oh, and as as Catelyn's running away, she remembers what Stannis said to her um, at that meeting, where mm. he said, um, t- speaking of Rob. Uh, his time will come too. And sort of considering what's just happened to Renly, that sends a real shiver down her spine. Yeah, And it makes the uh, same, same, with you know, with anyone reading, I suppose. Yeah. Can we talk a little about what Stannis' angle is on
1: all this? Yeah, sure. Like, what the... Why? I mean, you know, I, I get that you need a bad guy... Um, in a story like this, but and you've already got the Lannisters. The, the Lannisters are quite static at this point. They're just sort of they're in various castles and all, galloping around the place and and killing people and stuff. Um, yeah. So Stannis seems to have taken over the role of being the one that you're like, I really hate you. Um, or he's doing more openly hateful things. But like, why? He, like, I don't understand like where this guy's drive is coming from to be king. Because, like, he doesn't really, like, I don't understand, I- I'm struggling to articulate it, clearly. I just, I don't know why he cares. I don't know why it matters to him. Because he just seems to me like the sort of joyless prick that would be exactly as happy being king as he would be being the dung heap carrier. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? Why? What, why does what matter to him? Being king. Because, like, so he's doing all of this stuff just out of a sense of I should be king. But he doesn't seem to have a sense of what he wants to do with it when he's there. Like, he doesn't, like, Renly gets a big kick out of being liked. So he wants to lead everybody so they'll all like him. And um, Robert wanted to be king because he wanted to fight. And then he became king almost by mistake. And Joffrey wants to be king because his mother wants him to be king because he's a psycho and it allows him to kill as many people as he wants. But Stannis wants to be king because, you know, and he's made this sort of Faustian pact as well. Like he's selling his soul, it would seem, Mm. with all this weird black magic stuff. But
0: it doesn't seem to me clear what he thinks he
1: can do with the kingship that's worth having.
0: Yeah, I I think it's just a case of... I mean, he's he's Mr. Right and Wrong, black and white, down the line, isn't he? Mm. And the fact of the matter is that there's this guy on the throne who shouldn't be there. And the rules say that he should be on the throne. So... Um, you know going on from that he needs to do everything that he can to become the king because that's just what's right that's what should happen in the and story that exactly yeah and that's that i mean that's that some Stannis up isn't it that's just his entire character that's why he was so pissed off when um when renly got storm's end because by rights he should have had that i'm sure if he was the if he was the youngest brother he wouldn't have been remotely bothered about Randy getting to Tom's end because he just gets yeah. upset with anything that's beyond the rules, which is quite funny considering sort of what he's resorting to to make yeah. sure he gets on the throne. Yeah. But I suppose he just he just sees the ends, you know, uh, justifying the means at this stage. Yeah, but I mean, what horrible ends and
1: what horrible means? Like, I just, I'm really struggling to connect with him as a character. Um
0: yeah. But then I've got to, I'm not I've supposed got to, to, i, I, I really. I've, I didn't see him as a as a as a bad guy at this point. I um thought he was quite grey Um because I I <laughs> I, I was thinking I I was so um against the Lannisters. Yeah, was pretty much case, Anybody you who's know, not an, the Lannisters, an, yeah. Yeah, an enemy of the Lannisters is obviously a good guy. Mm. Um but yeah, this this use of this sort of um really uh powerful magic is Mm. something that makes you very uncomfortable yeah 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 that's very true um it'll be interesting to see as this book progresses whether um whether you side with stannis or not yeah actually Um, i'm gonna keep an eye on that see how it's getting on okay um let's move on to john um uh, John and the rest of the, the Night's Watch have arrived at the Fist of the First Men, <laughs> which, which is this which is Sorry. this hill. Yeah. Now I've which heard is... about
1: that band called the Fist of the First Man. <laughs> I can't I can't hear that as anything other than a masturbation joke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, it's this it's this hill with. Um, it's quite. I find I had a bit of trouble sort of imagining this, and in the end, I pretty much came down on basically a hill, which seems to have some kind of something like Stonehenge on the top of it, and they sort of camp in the middle of it because there are all hmm. these sort of uh, like towers or semi or walls or rocks, whatever, uh, with with gaps in the middle, with um, gaps in between them, and what mm. they do is they hammer stakes into the gaps and make it really fortified, and it, it's this place where. The, the the first men, um, so the 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 first men to actually arrive in Westeros, um, mm. used as a defensive fort, and it's just pretty much all gone to ruin. But it's yeah. still a a pretty sort of strong place to to stay. Uh. Um, the 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 old bear is a the Lord Commander. John just considers that we get a little glimpse that he might be struggling a little bit, keeping up with these younger men um, mm. in this really hard. Ride across the uh, across the north, um, which is quite interesting. Just to see. I mean, you said before: is is he making a tactical misstep by by taking all these men out into the into north of the wall when he could just defend the wall? Mm. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah.
1: And it 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 begins to look a bit questionable, doesn't it? Really, like mm. you know, they've kind of they've been out. And and to this point, I've been feeling right. They're marauding around. They're the primary badasses. And I think in this scene, they start talking a bit more about Mance and, yeah. uh and the whole situation with him. And you start to get a sense of how isolated they are. And you get yeah. a sense that they're kind of out, seriously out on a limb. They're out on a limb that branches off from a limb, which itself is hanging loose from a rotten tree. And you just, mm. you know, you really feel the isolation. And that means that you're also like, why has he brought them all the way out this? I mean, that you've got this 700 foot high wall. Like, if you're that worried about what's going on beyond it, just stay behind that wall. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you could drop yeah. a pebble off the top of that on somebody's head and it'll kill them. Like, it's not difficult to defend. So unless yeah. you're out there trying to reconquer the north, then I don't know why you would. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think we 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 touched on this last time. And I think um, the re- the the reason for um, heading out and being out on this rather shaky, rotten limb is um, is that this is the sort of uh, coming down from because Mansred is getting this army together in the frost fangs and the the sort of the, the, the only way down from there is pretty much a bottleneck. And and that's where the fist of the first men is. That's where he's. That that's where the, the the Nights Watch are going to make the stand. And I think it's just the fact that he'll have, um, he'll be able to offer battle to to Mansraider there. Whereas if he sits on the wall, as we said before, it's miles and miles and miles long, and mm-hmm. he's only got so many men. So he's going to have to be spread so thinly that even uh, the fact that there's a massive true. wall there yeah, makes yeah. it still makes it impossible to defend. Yeah. So he's, it's kind of a, a desperate move, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is, and I had a, a mounting sense of that desperation. Um, yeah. yeah, and there's
0: also this sense of foreboding with um, Ghost, uh, John's direwolf won't yeah. enter um, the uh, the fist of the first man. He, oh, yeah. he just won't come in, so that makes you think... <laughs> oh, you imagine in his brain, me. he's
1: just, I'm sorry, no, you, you finish saying what you were saying, then I'll say what I was going to say.
0: Oh, go on, yeah. Um, I was just saying, he was. Yeah, he's. Um, he he won't come in, and he's, uh There's this. There's a sense of something isn't quite right at the top of this place, even though it seems like the best choice of a bad bunch. I will tell you what, it is. It's he senses the amount
1: of masturbation that's gone on in there, and he's like, the fist of the first <laughs> men. Is it? I think not. <laughs> I'm off. I'm going. I'm going through the clean snow, where no man has jizzed. <laughs> okay. Um. So uh, <laughs> you're not John going along takes, with this masturbation gag, are you? I think it's hilarious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, J- John takes this. Uh, he has to go and sort out the mul the, the 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 wine, the hot wine for for the Lord Commander. It turns mm. out that um, Lord Commander moments so a real like mulled wine connoisseur, um, which is. It's quite an interesting part to his character, I suppose he's still managing to have a little bit of luxury even though he even though he's in this horrible <laughs> environment. I mean let me just let me just read through what he's um what he's gotta to put together. Um see so, uh, so John has to get a, a cask of Mormon's favourite robust red from the stores, pour in pours it into a kettle, and uh, the old bear's particular about his hot spiced wine. So much cinnamon, so much nutmeg, so much honey, but not a drop more. Raisins and nuts and dried bellies, berries, but no lemon. That was the rankest sort of southern heresy. <laughs> Which is weird, because he always took lemon in his morning beer.
1: Morning beer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Moment also says that it has to be hot, but not hot to warm a man properly, but never boiled, because that ruins it. (gasps) And (laughs) It's such such an absurd thing, isn't it, in the middle of all this, like, hardship. (laughs) It's brilliant. And served with a doily. Um, Yeah.
1: You have the sense, don't you, of it being, like, one of those East India Company, British Empire fellas, who, like, went out and thought they were taming the wilderness, uh, apart from all the people that were living there. And, um, but listen, listen, I may be out here for queen and country, living the hard life, and you'd better believe that when I go home I'll be telling everybody that it was hardship and broken canvas and jungle fever, etc. But if there's no fucking lemon in my fucking morning breakfast tea, I will not be
0: a fucking happy chappy. <laughs> it's even better than that's morning beer. Not morning, even morning beer. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, classic gold. gold. Um, so these, the, 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 there's this discussion, this council where they're talking about what to do next. Um, there's this discussion. There's this point made that there are thousands of wildlings but they couldn't hope for a better for better ground than where they are to defend. Mm. It, that did make me think apart from the massive fucking wall which <laughs> you could <defend laughs> yeah, Exactly. But, um, <laughs> uh, 700 Small. foot
1: high wall of ice. We can't, <laughs> yeah. we can't do better than this bundle of sticks lads we might as well just stay here.
0: <laughs> um, Thorin Smallwood um, as we, we've come to realise how aggressive and bold this guy is he wants to ride straight up to the Frostfangs and end it there um, he says they wouldn't yeah. be expecting that attack yeah. um, in but- the same way as they wouldn't be expecting a clown
1: covered in honey to come bouncing over the hills on a fucking space <laughs> hopper would they? Because it's mental <laughs>
0: Yeah, you can imagine, yeah, it would be the last thing that I'd expect, um, th- an attack up there, but that's probably because it'd be an almost suicidal attack. So yeah. uh, the Lord Commander decides not to go down that path. Hmm. The plan is to to wait for um, for this guy called Corin Halfhand to turn up. He's, a, he's from one of the other towers along the wall, and hmm. he's leading another party of rangers um, which is gonna give them extra strength and then they're gonna decide what to do next. But it looks like the commander's minded just to stay where they are and wait for the wildlings to arrive.
1: Yeah.
0: The only other thing that happens here is um there's a there's a chat John has a chat with some of the other members of the Night's Watch around this fire and Dywin, who's this this ranger with wooden teeth, this sort of old gnarled um expert <laughs> ranger Yeah. With, as I say, wooden teeth. Another badass um, grandpa in truth, isn't he? he? He is, yeah, he is. He's another badass grandpa. Um, and he remarks that this place smells of cold and someone else says you can't smell cold, but John thinks that Darwin's got it bang on because mm. that's exactly what he smelled when um, when those two corpses came attacking at the Castle Black. Oh, yeah. Once again, a bit more foreboding. Mm.
1: I, don't, I don't know, though. Do you know, I'm just... Now that we're up in the north and we're talking about um, talking about reanimated corpses and the others and all of this sort of thing, um, I'm comparing how I feel about that storyline to how I feel about the Stannis, um, Stannis' magic shadows. Yeah. And, um, and it's interesting because I don't feel nearly so much of a sort of let down with them, even though they are still magical, and and that you know they you know they're just making up whatever rules you want for them. I, I it still doesn't feel as as kind of it doesn't put me off as much for some reason. The possibility that you know a sort of horde of zombies could come wandering through the camp at any moment, stabbing left, right, and centre. Yeah. Um, you know, I like for some reason I don't feel like that's as much of a um, that's as much of a, a letdown. I know what do you think.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree, and for me, it's because it goes back to this sense of sort of playing fair with the reader, mm. where um, with the with the stuff in the north, from the very start, from literally the first chapter of the book, you're told, you know, creepy, powerful magic stuff happening north of the wall. Mm. How 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 are the men going to deal with it? Whereas you contrast that to um the story about stannis which is stannis and renly and rob and joffrey are, are all part of this uh, political struggle for the throne who can get the upper hand through deals and backstabbing mm. and then suddenly bang and there's some some magic which turns the tables and it comes out of nowhere and you think God, oh, that's you know that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've you, you've got a you've got a sense because he's got this Melisandre next to him, and she's this mysterious woman who seems to survive poisoning. Mm. But it's quite a jump to suddenly get this tactical weapon, which which means <laughs> you can assassinate anybody. It's one thing. And I think. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say. I think the, the problem is that it it's just it doesn't seem. I mean, either the, the stuff with the zombies and uh, with the the whites, if you like to use the name for the here, and the stuff north of the wall. It seems fair. Mm. Because it seems up front, you know what you know that that's going to happen there. Mm. But the fact that it comes out of nowhere down in the south is what jars with me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. But we'll see. Maybe it'll be brought together. But I feel, I feel, down south, we're sort of we're taking a big leap over
0: an abyss right now.
1: Mm. Um,
0: yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't. carry on. Uh, the the only other thing to say about this chapter is uh, John follows Ghost eventually um, out into the wilderness. <gasps> oh, yeah. Which, I love, it seems crazy. <laughs> I love this sequence, though, because
1: it's proper creepy. Like, I forget how oh, this... Yeah. I mean, we're now... The stuff above the wall, particularly, is now fairly profoundly diverged from the um, from the TV series, isn't it? Because they never get to the Fist of the First Men or anything like that.
0: Um, uh, yeah, they, they they do, but they, but it's not really... They don't make much of it. They sort of turn up. I think there's this scene where Sam goes, "Oh, we're at the fist of the first man," and it's just this Everybody sort of hill goes, on a right. of snow. Yeah, yeah,
1: and then that's that's pretty much it. And yeah. you don't have the encampment and the rest of it. And 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 so yeah. um, th- this sequence I really liked because there was real tension in it. There's this real sort of he's just following this wolf off into the woods, and because yeah. we saw last time, didn't we, the fact that suddenly Bran lost control over his wolf, and so there's this yeah. thing of like on the one hand the wolves are there for the kids protection and well-being and stuff but they are still wild animals and they will do really mm. fucking odd stuff. Yeah. Um and and then and and so Ghost just sort of disappears into the woods and John
0: follows him and I was like what
1: the fuck is he going to find out there?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well this is what he does find out there. Mm. It's uh the the Ghost starts digging in this spot mm. a bit like, you know, um just just to give John a an idea of you know maybe you should dig here too, mm. and John finds um, all this dragon glass or obsidian um, with l- these uh, knives and uh, swords and uh, arrowheads made of this very rare material mm. um, called dragon glass, mm. and it's all wrapped in the oh no there's a war horn as well, and it's all wrapped in this black cloak mm. of someone from the Nights Watch. So this is like questions, 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 isn't it? It's yeah. who's left it there, um, why have they left it there, what the, on earth is this dragon glass stuff even for? It just seems like some weird sort of rare antique mm. um, weaponry, mm. and et cetera, et cetera. What did you think?
1: Yeah, well, I was like, okay, uh, this is a bit odd quite glad that john hasn't yet had his intestines pulled out on a stick by some <laughs> zombie hiding behind a tree but i suppose the, yeah. the chapter is young um and then it's like the fact that it's a it's a, a night's watch cloak is like oh fucking hell um because we've seen how you know we're out looking for lost lost uh brothers of the night's watch and we've seen what happens to other. Not, not, blah, blah, blah. We've seen what happens to other brothers of the Night's Watch who get lost, um, and then turn up and stab everybody, um, and then oh god, what is going to happen? And I have to say, I turned the next few pages just
0: expecting John to get eaten alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a really frightening passage, isn't it? Yeah, I, I thought but in a really good whole- way, like good, creepy. Not like, yeah. Not like kind of cattle prod stuff, but just like. <laughs> I thought this whole chapter, actually, even when they're sort of setting up the tents and setting up camp, and John's looking out over the um, over the forest uh, and sort of almost admiring the view, I just felt like it was a, a great example of where the writing from George Martin actually almost puts you there, and I could, I almost felt like I was there. Um, amongst this camp of of of, uh, of night's watchmen mm. um at the top of the, and and feeling that those senses of foreboding the fact that you've got this this ring of torches and stakes and bits of wall mm. and then you've got the camp and then beyond that it's just darkness and what effectively is a haunted forest and it's fantastic it's what this one of my favorite parts of the um of this book is the time we spend with the, the the night's watch north of the wall.
1: Yeah, because well, you have a sense that whatever's going on above the wall must be important because it's been given a lot of pages so far. But it's all yeah. been like, we don't really know what's going on still. A book and a half in, we're like, eh? Yeah. And, um, and so it is really compelling because you sense that there must be something important that's going to happen from up north. Yeah. Even if you don't know what it is. So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm still really interested. I really want to see how it comes off.
0: Yeah, so back with Bran, and um, there's there's this news of this battle at Oxcross. This is the one which Rob uh, won this great battle against the Lannisters. Um, he Bran hears this in a room with the two Freys, you know, the Frey twins, yeah, yeah. Uh, Little and Big Walder, and Master Aemon says, um, "You're sort of one of your relatives, Stevron Frey, who's the sort of." He will be the head of the household once Walder Frey dies. Um, not anymore, because Stevron Frey died in the battle. Mm. And the reaction from the two Freys is actually they're actually quite pleased, or they're not that bothered either way. Mm. Because this family is so big. And there isn't a lot of love between them. It's all about positioning and trying to. Th- they're more concerned about who's going to be the next in line now, <clears throat> rather yeah. than oh yeah. god, I've lost my uncle. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because this is this brings full circle that premonition that Bran had. Ever he had that dream where he's having that feast, mm. and um, he was given some uh, a really nice meal, which he didn't think tasted that great. And the two Frey twins were fed this grey meat, which looked disgusting, but they really enjoyed it. And this this is supposed to be that premonition coming true. Oh, I didn't spot that, because I'm extraordinarily stupid no it's, it's, i only I only saw it in the second read through and oh, I right. think it is it is made quite clear in a couple of lines, but you can easily miss it yeah, which well with, which I did it. yeah um, and I did as well, yeah,
1: I think that's really interesting and true like um and and it just doesn't do the phrase as a family, many favors this scene, does it where you've got not these two all, no. these two kids who you know not at all subtly have exactly the same name as the main fray that we've seen so far, um. <laughs> Uh, who are just heartless you know a member yeah. of your family dies and you're just thinking about the jockeying for position and you're like you know these kids age 9 they've got this crap from somewhere haven't they
0: mm.
1: exactly yeah it does you're right it doesn't reflect very well on them at yeah. all does it they're shocked. There if, are if funny... I, i'd be calling in the social services yeah <laughs> i'd be see it report it on this on this situation let me tell you <laughs>
0: They're a funny house, the phrase, because on the one hand, you get this sense of them being ruthless and um, not particularly uh, likeable. But on the other hand, they've all been fighting for Rob. And, uh, you know, there are, there are various members of the household dying to protect Rob in various ways. Mm. Um, if you look at Stevron at Oxcross, or I think a couple of Freys were killed defending Rob when um, Jamie Lannister was taken. Mm. So. It's there are yeah there are there are they are strange they are a bit of a strange house in the middle of all this because a lot of the other yeah. houses um, are just fairly one dimensional loyal to Rob aren't they
1: yeah or well fairly one dimensional vaguely kind of heraldic chivalrous you know men in tin cans whereas yeah the phrase the phrase actually at least and refreshingly have no truck whatsoever with any bollocks like like uh, sorry have no truck whatsoever with any bollocks like being honorable or <laughs> or in any sense sort of cuddly or nice, um, which is quite, yeah, it is a contrast with how everybody else conducts themselves where they are superficially very, very concerned with that but are still fundamentally bastards um, mm-hmm. because that's what's required of them because being a knight means saying, say, talking clean and acting dirty. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I mean, I suppose there's that in the phrase favor. At least, at least in a mm. twisty way, they are sincere.
0: Yeah. Um, but this whole this whole chapter is building on Bran's dreams and Jojen's dreams and premonitions coming true. Mm. Um Jojen says that when Bran dreams of being a wolf, of being Summer, he actually is inhabiting the body of Summer. Mm. Um, which is, and Bran doesn't like the sound of that because he he says he want, and I don't want to be a, a warg. I want to be a knight. And Jojan says, well, a knight's what you want to be, and a warg is what you what you are. Mm. Yeah, that's quite
1: a harsh thing to. I mean, Jojen, he's really, for somebody who has like a kind of extraordinary insight, he's not learned the first fucking thing about how to communicate it to people, has he? It's as if in his first, first, what does he call them, green dreams? Dreams that always come true? In his first green dream, somebody appeared to him and said... Listen, kiddo, this is the deal. You will have incredible insight, but you won't know how to say it for shit. You must, under all circumstances, be creepy, oblique, and needlessly odd. Got it? (laughs) Fabulous. And then just
0: floats away into the... (laughs) I love that description of Jodian. Creepy, oblique, and needlessly odd. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he, I I think he is um he he's a he seems like a teacher to to Bram, but not a particularly um I don't know, uh, not not a teacher with a great deal of empathy. He he's yeah. basically this is how it is and you know, it doesn't matter what you how you feel, you're gonna have to deal with it. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean he sorry. No, you got go one. I mean more se- i I'm
1: you know, obviously I'm I'm dicking around, but more seriously, you do get a sense of Jojen who who is still, what is he, eleven years old himself, twelve or something. Mm. Um has been kind of traumatized by having this ability and you have the sense of Mira as well, having this like really nervous desire to kind of look after him because she really, she's seen how unable to cope with his life. He really is. And so Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, he's a traumatized person working out that trauma by communicating it to somebody else. Um, And that's, and obviously that's quite, that's quite um, moving to watch um uh but he is still just like really really weird with it so in a sense it's it's almost like he sees what he what he does the dreams and so on we'd be tempted to talk about them as though they were a superpower but actually he talks about them as though they're a curse and Mm -hmm. when and seeing that bran has similar experiences he's like welcome to the curse not hey, this is wicked, and we can do all of this cool stuff. He just doesn't have any sense of that at all. There's no, it's not a superhero thing, is it? It's more of a, no, it's I, more more <clears throat> of a
0: disturbed child thing. And I think it's that's because um, it's interesting you saying we can do all this cool stuff. It's because they can't do anything with it. Because the point that Jojin makes here, when Jojen has this dream where. Um, various member that the the, the uh, seawater crashes over winterfell mm. and various people drown mm. and um, and the point he's making is this is what is going to happen, mm. and there's nothing we can do about it. Because Mira says, "Well, um, I think Bran suggests, you know, well, we've got to try and make sure it doesn't happen." And Jojin mm. says, "No, that's not how it works. You just see what's going to happen, and and you can't affect it." I think this would be a great superpower to have if you could see what was going to happen and then and make changes to avoid certain yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. But the fact, yeah, the fact you can't do anything about it means, yeah, it is pretty much a curse, isn't it? Mm.
1: And I I wonder as well, like. Is there a chance Jojen has had this experience because he's the son of quite a minor lord, like a basically nomadic swamp dwelling, you know, type? Um, yeah. Whereas Bran, ostensibly anyway, has all the power of Winterfell at his disposal, albeit that Winterfell is extremely reduced. Um, mm. but I, I mean, because that's quite a thing for George Martin to say of his own universe is that it's fundamentally deterministic and you know predestination rules and whatever is going to happen is whatever was going to happen. Um, mm. I mean, I think that's quite... A, in a way, that's quite a dispiriting thing to, to have somebody who's telling a story say to you is that, like, this is going to suck and there was no other way it could have been. Um, yeah.
0: The, the, th- the, the, thing, the interesting thing with books, though, um, and even TV series, with stories, mm. is it is always predetermined. And I, I, um, uh. it's strange. If you look at it from, like, Take a Step Back... You know the book's there already, so it's yeah. all, it is all going to yeah, happen, yeah, and yeah. we're just sort of moving along it, aren't we? Yeah, I, I um, mean that's very true, and I
1: suppose. But but one of the one of the reasons we keep going back to books is that we don't know how it's going to be, and we feel yeah. we have an investment in. I hope this doesn't happen. I hope this does happen, and if if what George Martin wants to say is that that hope is necessary but fundamentally futile and utterly misplaced, that's quite depressing. Um, but you're right, from a book perspective, I mean, of course, the decision is made. The book is written. It's published. It's not going to change. And actually, that makes for a better book, doesn't it? Because if it wasn't, it would be a pick-your-own-adventure, and we all know what <laughs> towering behemoths of narrative drive those things are. Yeah. Roll the dice. Yeah. If you got a 2, go to page 57. If you got a 3, <laughs> go to page 58. But absolutely don't look at number 57 to see what would have happened. <laughs>
0: So, so there, are, there, are these, there are these three people who are named in this dream, uh, Micken, Septon and Chael, and a guy called Alebelly. He's my boy. Alebelly, yeah. uh, he's my
1: boy.
0: They've all have been seen to have drowned, and Bran, despite what Jojen says, decides he's going to try and help them avoid it. Mm. Um, and they, they each have different reactions. Micken, who's the, uh, the armourer, uh seems to think it just complete rubbish and sort of laughs it off mm. and and says you know the seas hundreds of miles away mm. um uh the septon is quite philosophical about it actually um the septon basically says you know I'll 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 be taken when it's time for me to go mm. and um but, but he also says you know I don't think I'm going to drown um mm. and then Alebelly pretty much believes it and refuses to to bathe for for weeks <laughs> <laughs> Because he thinks he's going to drown, and eventually the um, other members of the guard like grab him and force him to have a bath, and yeah. he, he's terrified, and he's screaming that they're going to drown him.
1: <laughs> it's really funny, actually, isn't it? Like there's there's sort of um, three three different approaches towards towards the, like a suggestion that one can see the future, and mm. um, one of them is well, if it happens, it happens. One of them is. Bollocks and the other one is fucking hell and but a complete <laughs> misunderstanding of it. I'm never gonna bath. That's great. That's the kind of excuse you wanted to come up with when you were like six, isn't it? I wanna have a bath. Yeah. I wanna I'll drown. No, I saw it in a dream. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, it, it's. Um, I just thought it was interesting as well the fact that there's a septon there, and uh, it's probably the only part of the north where you've got a septon because, um, oh, because of obviously because because of because of Catelyn. yeah, mm, yeah, um, well, that's interesting, which is I interesting. That, yeah. uh, Sir Roderick, our favourite man with the whiskers, oh, returns oh, the original from...
1: badass grandpa.
0: So yeah, Sir Roderick has been sorting out the various people in the east of whatever. Uh, in the, sort of the northeast of the kingdom because there's this, been this mini civil war going on where um, Lady Hornwood who owns all this land has um, is now her, her husband and son have both died so somebody needs to marry into that family to rule the land mm. and the Mandalays want to do it and also Roose Bolton's bastards decided that he's going to do it by effectively taking her captive and marrying her. Classic romance now- isn't it? <laughs> yeah Sir Roderick's gone over and sorted everything out. He's killed the Bastard of Bolton.
1: He's, <laughs> That's how yeah. you regulate, isn't it? Listen, I'm <laughs> yeah. Sir Roderick
0: Castle. Who are you? I thought not. Come <laughs> here. He's taken uh, the Bastard's smelly little servant, called Reek, as prisoner. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he's basically, yeah, the uh, the Mandalay's still uh, holding on to, to to Hornwood while they work out what to do with it. Um there's a really horrible part actually where it seems that Sir Roderick's remember Sir Roderick and Lady Hornwood had a bit of a thing across the table and um, Yeah, he's like maybe Maybe my lady quite,
1: you need a little bit of bound chicka chicka watcher. <laughs>
0: yeah. It was obvious that they would may have they may have gotten together were it not for the fact that it doesn't quite work in terms of station that Sir Roderick can't really marry into that family because yeah. he's he's not he's not high ranked highly enough. Yeah. Um, it turns out he um when he finally fi- found lady hornwood she'd been locked up in this tower and effectively starved to death Bloody and hell. It t- when he found her she she'd eaten her fingers oh oh that th- this bolton kid is a un yeah isn't he it's a hor- it's a horrible way to um to, to, it's a horrible ending for a character that seemed quite nice when she came to, the, to Winterfell as well. Yeah, she was
1: a bit of a refreshing yeah. difference, wasn't she, from the sort of... Um, from from the kind of endless wheeler dealing and backstabbing and stuff. She's just, you know, a woman who wants to keep yeah. her house.
0: Yeah. Now, um, from what Sir Roderick says, there's still this infighting going on between the Mandalay's and the Boltons. Mm-hmm. Um so that's still a problem over in the east um even though he has sort of helped a lot helps it along a bit mm. um and also this there's this, this ratings getting worse on the west coast as well mm. where the if you remember the iron men are um the iron islanders are uh up and down the coast. And it sends out that the um, the tall hearts are getting involved. Yeah, um, go on, boys. The, the, <laughs> do you remember the wild hairs that Benfred and his lot oh. they've been they've been dispatched to deal with the raiders. Oh, go on. So we might ben finally Fred. see some tall heart action. <laughs> Look forward to that. Um, and uh, yeah, and uh, the, the other thing is, there's another premonition, um, which Jojen's had, mm. where Bran and Rickon are both dead at um at the feet of Reek. Which is the smelly little servant? Yeah, and again, Mira says, "Well, why don't we just go down to the dungeons and kill him now?" Yeah, and Jojen says, you, "You won't be allowed to." And this is again, this is what's going to happen. We can't change it. Yeah, and that's where that chapter ends.
1: And it's a bit weird, isn't it? Because it's like, well, how do you know? Like, I would want to see somebody try it instead of just being like, "All oh, right, so the um, the." The the disturbed kid with the questionable sanity says we can't, so we won't. Instead of being like, well, all right, I'll listen to that. But how about if I try it?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. then
1: I suppose you don't want to get into that, do you? In a, in a work of fiction, because otherwise it just becomes the Matrix, the second two parts of the Matrix trilogy, where you just like yeah. you very. I, I'm saying that now, but if you gave me more than a couple of pages of it, I would very quickly become. I don't fucking care. <laughs> exactly. Stop yeah. talking about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to Tyrion then. Mm. Um, and Va- Varys is speaking to Tyrion, and they, they're discussing Renly's death mm. and the various rumours surrounding it. Once again, kind of like what happened with Robert, mm. um, it's just a complete load of of rumours going round. Yeah. And um, the, the fact of the matter is, the key point is Renly's now dead, mm. and um, it looks like most of the lords who were with Renly have gone over to Stannis now. <laughs> Like you do, apart from yeah, apart from uh, Tarly, uh, Tyrell, and this guy called Mathis Rowan. Mm. So basically, Sam's dad, Randall Tarly, mm. um, Loris Tyrell, and this Rowan guy have have still not declared for anybody. Yeah, but everybody else have, has gone over, and we also hear that remember Robar Royce, this guy who um did this, in his own way this quietly heroic thing of believing Catelyn and Brienne. Mm. Um, he was killed along with Ser Emmon um by Loras Tyrell, um, just in this sort of mad rage when he found out that Renly was dead.
1: Bloody hell!
0: Yeah, it seems a real it seems a real waste, doesn't it?
1: It, it really does. Um, but I mean, it, that's, this is just another one of those little moments, isn't it, of Loras like of you sensing that there was something much more between Loras and Renly than just oh, yeah. friendship and respect. You know, this is the kind of, mm. this is exactly what you expect, the kind of grief-stricken husband figure to do. Um, mm. uh, and and this is what he does, pulls out his sword and just um, goes apeshit. Um, yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be the guy who had to take the message in, would you?
0: <laughs> no, obviously. Dolores, the- <laughs> I,
1: I sense you may be upset about this, um, but <laughs> if you need some time alone, that's perfectly all right. But uh, <laughs> yeah. just sort of edging out the door. So um, <laughs> it's not terribly good news, uh, if
0: I'm honest. But um, Renly's dead. <laughs> Bye. I'd start it with just saying uh Solaris, are you familiar with the phrase, don't shoot the messenger? <laughs> <laughs> I think you should think on that phrase when I tell you the next part of what I'm about to say. (laughs) Why don't we all take a moment to just reflect on on the meaning of that phrase
1: and its applications (laughs) in our lives, both general (laughs) and and very
0: specific. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, unfortunately yes. in the medieval world as, uh, as well as here specifically um, that just nev- almost never applied did it don't yeah. shoot, shoot the messenger the messenger pretty much always got yeah, shot
1: absolutely shoot the messenger of course shoot yeah. the messenger yeah.
0: probably the worst one of the worst jobs in medieval times I would was suggest the messenger, messenger. <laughs> yeah you definitely bit <laughs> expecting hazard pay do you, know,
1: do you know what it reminds me of is um, have you seen Blackadder the first the first Adder Um, season where they've got these absolutely one of the great characters of that is this dumb messenger who's like a teenage boy oh yeah (laughs) who's like goes in and gives the king played by Brian Blessed some news and he goes he's like "Um, my lord I bring news Lord Stafford is dead and the king goes I like not this news bring me some other news and so he comes back and goes my lord I bring news Lord Stafford is not dead excellent And you can see it, can't you? It's just such a medieval king thing to do. No, it's wrong. Change the facts.
0: Change the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Under underrated series, Blackout of the first. Absolutely, absolutely. Say. Particularly with this, like, I feel like I want to watch
1: watch uh, Blackout <laughs> of the first kind of alongside reading this, just to sort of lighten it up a little
0: bit because it's pretty heavy. <laughs> at This point, yeah. Um okay so, so back back to what what's happening here mm. um Tyrion uh sees an opportunity here mm. because there are various members of the Tyrells obviously and their uh, bannermen who haven't gone over to Stannis mm. so he wants to get them on his side mm. and the way he plans to do it is by marrying Joffrey to Marjorie, which is the 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 woman who married Renly mm. um she's uh one of the Tyrell daughters mm quite a quite a shrewd move um the queen's not happy with it but she never is with anything yeah we haven't um, seen the
1: queen be happy with anything ever have we
0: <laughs> yeah um so little finger ends up being chosen he pretty much chooses himself as the guy to go over and offer these terms mm. uh Tyrion's not very comfortable with it but he doesn't see a way of of sending anybody else mm. um which is quite interesting and then the chapter ends with Cersei basically saying yeah you know it was a good idea and she kisses Tyrion on the cheek and is actually quite nice to him and that immediately puts Tyrion on edge thinking she's plotting something <laughs> so he needs to find out what it is how fucked up is this family really that like a, a, a commonplace
1: expression of sisterly affection makes makes the recipient go the fuck are you up to <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's troubling. <laughs> well, I suppose the the the, uh, the question "How fucked up is this family?" has been fairly efficiently answered by the fact that two twins are having sex and having babies.
0: Yes. Um. Oh, next up, Theon. Oh, Theon, the, the tall Hearts. Benfred. I mean, what a disappointment. He's um uh, the. In, in sort of in his defence, or one thing, good thing you can say about poor old Benfred, he does die um, heroically and pretty hard. Um, he's been captured by Theon's um, men who've been raiding the coastline, mm. um, and he's actually he's drowned, uh, but not not before he basically spits in Theon's face and roars at him for being a traitor and a turncloak and basically shouts all the things that we've wanted to shout at Theon ever since he went down this path yeah um and then he's he's taken off to be killed yeah and Theon doesn't really want to kill him I don't think yeah. but he he's he's sort of forced down this road by his uncle who says he's got to die and the fact that um his men are more loyal to his uncle than they are to him, so he yeah. feels he's got to do it. Yeah,
1: but and, and this is an interesting thing, isn't it? In the book, Theon really hasn't expressed any doubt about this at all. In the TV series, before he rode off and started doing this, there was this scene where he really showed like conflict, and he wrote a letter to Rob saying, "This is what the plan is," and yeah. um, and then just crumpled it up and made a decision. Whereas this time, you just you sort of feel like he hasn't really ever taken that kind of reflective moment and realised what it is that he's doing he's just, no. he's just kind of rolled with it and become as cruel and bastard like as his dad wants him to be
0: yeah. um, and so it's he's different much,
1: he, he's much colder, like I, I, I lost yeah. sympathy with Theon much quicker in this than I did in the TV series
0: yeah, he's much easier to hate, isn't he? Because he doesn't have he doesn't seem to have as much of this conflict within himself, yeah. despite the fact that he's been treated so well by um the Starks for these ten years. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. quite happy to turn turn sides very quickly. Yeah. Um it turns out that uh the Benfred and his you know, the these young men who wanted to play at war, if you like, mm. were um were ambushed as they were sort of riding through towards the coastline and actually singing. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> I was going to say yeah. that you can hear them singing, can't you,
1: brave, brave Sir Robin, bravely ran away,
0: <laughs> like it's that thing, <laughs> yeah, and then they they were pretty much massacred by theon's um by theon's men it's interesting, Theon reflects on it, and he remembers the sort of the kick he got and um the high he got from the victory at Whispering Woods, you know, when they captured Jamie Lannister, yeah. And the fact that he doesn't feel anything for this, he just feels flat and almost... You get the feeling almost a bit ashamed of what he's doing. Mm. Obvious reasons why. But um, he's sort of still trying to work that out, isn't he, and process it.
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I I mean, I think you don't have to be a rocket scientist here, do you, to recognise that the reason he feels this way is that he was with people he liked before. And that's what he wants, is to be liked um he's just really fucking bad at it <laughs> and yeah. um uh and so of course he's not getting a he's, he's not getting a kick out of this because he doesn't feel that he's part of something that's worth doing he feels he's part of something that's driven by fear um yeah. and and yeah you know and he to a certain extent he must recognize that he's just become a bastard
0: mm. yeah um now it's interesting you said about how this differs from the series because there's a quite a lot of Theon's story which differs quite significantly from the tv series um and another part of it is this this other character called dagmar uh, Clefjaw. um and yeah because it's called cleftjaw because he, he he took a i think he took an axe to the face and survived <laughs> <laughs> that's having a constitution isn't it Never mind I tend to get over the
1: sniffles quickly. Took an axe to the chin. Literally took it on
0: the chin and kept going. Yeah. Yeah, he got chinned by an axe and oh, survived. Oh, love it. Love it. Um but in 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 the in the series, he's just this ruthless monster of a of a sort of an, an Iron Islander who forces Theon down these fairly, you know, these really horrible paths. Mm. Um in the in the book, he is a real. He's more like a. He's a real father figure to to Theon. He's the guy who Theon really saw as his like surrogate dad when when he was growing up on the Iron Islands. Yeah, cause it's because it's clear that his
1: dad was fucking awful at that job.
0: Yeah, yeah. Theon comes up with this plan, um, despite the fact that he's he's sort of he's having one or two small misgivings about stabbing his, you know, his closest friend in the back and taking his lands off him. Um but he decides to he wants Dagmar to lay siege to Torrin Square, which is where the Tallhearts live, and um mm. effectively do it as a diversion while he goes to to do something else, which we can I mean, it's kind of obvious if you look at premonitions and things like that, it might be there might be a few clues as to what he's planning to do. <laughs> do you think? <laughs> And also, the, the the tall hearts. I'm increasingly coming to realise I may have chosen the weak link in the Stark bannerman group. Well, are you, are you
1: not a bit tempted to transfer uh, transfer some of that loyalty to the Boltons? Then you know you did you did uh, you did split your split you, your money, didn't you? you?
0: You pushed me towards the Boltons. <laughs>
1: I did, and with
0: with every passing page, I like them less. <laughs> I don't, You know what, I, I do like the fact, yeah, shall, shall I, I, I might have to sort of jump ship and go over to the Boltons then. Oh, oh,
1: um, oh even, because because even given how class, they've clearly shown themselves to develop, Matt, I, I feel like, I feel like I've, I've pushed you into a life of crime. Go on, go on, all the cool yeah. kids are doing it, go on, hang out with the murderous ones. <laughs> hang out with anyway. the flayers.
0: <laughs> okay, <Yeah. clears throat> next up's Arya. Mm. Last chapter for today. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out the, uh, the the large part of the the Lannister force, so uh, Tywin Lannister, Sir Kevin Lannister, uh, this guy called Sir Adam Maraband, who's this mm. sort of Tywin's best commander, yeah, and uh, and the Mountain Tywin's most dangerous commander. They're all they're all leaving now. They're off to to fight Rob because Rob's um, won this battle. Timings decided he has to go out and fight. Mm. The problem is, um, Aya just suddenly realises at this point she's got these three deaths, which she can she can basically tell Jack and Hagar to kill three people. This very talented assassin. Mm. She's wasted one, and um, and she's just realising as these people are leaving, shit. I need to choose people who matter. Yeah. Um, I wasted my first one on this guy who you know is a nobody. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Uh, you know, she, she killed it. It was this guy called Chiswick, wasn't she? She killed last time yeah. for telling a, a really nasty story. Yeah. Um, so she she desperately runs around to try and find Jacken, but it's too late. Yeah. The the Lannisters have left. Yeah. Um, when she does finally find him, she sets him on Wees, who's the the guy who um, who sort of who she's working for in the Wailing Tower. And it's, she basically sets him on Wees because Wees has been really nasty to her. Yeah. And it's 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 just you have to really. I I think you've got to really understand this for, from Aya's point of view because she's yeah. the fact she's just a little girl yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's she, her first reaction. Someone's nasty to her, so she fixes the problem yeah. by setting this guy on yeah. her. Like the same way you set your your big brother on someone who's bullying you, yeah. um, but it's not helping the grand scheme of things, is it? That she's had these three deaths and now two of them she's spent on not really.
1: Doing anything? Yeah, she spent spitefully. I mean, it does seem that this guy's go, has been willing to kill anybody. I mean, you know, say Tywin Lannister right then and there. End yeah. of book. And do you know what? Even though that would be that would be a narratively questionable choice, I would cheer it all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't care if it ends the books. Fucking brilliant. Have it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's inter- It's interesting that Jacken's such a seems such a talented assassin. Mm. It's interesting that Aya immediately assumes that as soon as someone leaves the castle, mm. that that he, he wouldn't be able to reach them.
1: Oh yeah, Cause, that's true.
0: Because she, she she thinks we've got to get him before he before he. Why why not just say his name after he's left the castle? They'll chase him down and kill yeah, him eventually.
1: But I suppose she wants the sort of the thrill of seeing it happen, doesn't she?
0: I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. Um, Weiss ends this chapter dead, unsurprisingly. Um, he he looks like he's been attacked by his own dog. Um, which is is this dog which he's been setting on people if they uh, don't do what he says. Um, that's management, when isn't, I, it? <laughs> it is, isn't it? It I its is not it? Clean yeah. that pot again. I don't want to clean that pot again. Got the
1: dog. <laughs> woof, woof. Do, eh? do you th- clean it again.
0: Isn't it, here's an interesting point. Do you think it's a, a, a micro version of Tywin? Because oh, Weiss has got oh, this dog which oh, he says, so, and, and Tywin's got the mountain where if you don't do what I say, he comes around and sort of... I hadn't
1: it, thought of that, that but that is a very very good and interesting idea. I like
0: it. So so when I sees uh weese's body she looks up and Jake Nagar is is on sort of the 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 walls above and he just sort of looks at her and places two fingers against his cheek. And I thought that was a really cool moment yeah. as well. It's great in the series as well, because it happens in the series and he does it. Yeah. It's a really good sort of bit of um, book service. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, it, as well as everything else,
1: creepy as fuck. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. And, it, and it, just, it just makes the point again as well that there's another one. So whose are you going to choose next? Because she's yeah, still yeah. got one more. Is she going to actually, you know, do something that matters next time? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I will be interested to see.
0: Well, we will find out next time. I hope you're ready for a lot of reading for next week because we have a large chunk of book to get through Epic. for next time. Epic. Oh, by the way, we are... Um, the, I've got a new microphone now, so it should be sounding better. So me and Dave both have these decent mics now and they're really good for... Shall we have a, a Landman of the Lazarin off? <laughs> just, just, just to play absolutely. with
1: absolutely, let's do it.
0: Okay, shall I go, go
1: first?
0: first? This is just our this is our favourite phrase from. I'm not even sure if it actually exists, you know, Dave. It might be one of these myths. I've not. I can't remember exactly where it was in the book or the series. Me neither, but. But it's when <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. It's when Sejora turns to turns to Daenerys and goes, "Khaleesi." The Lamb Men of the (laughs) Lazarene.
1: Now that, that Matt, that is pretty good. That is pretty good. But I think (laughs) you were lacking in a certain kind of eyebrow-twitching suggestiveness. Because this is Sajora and this is Daenerys. Khaleesi, (laughs) the Lamb Men of the Lazarene.
0: Okay, um, so the the next part, if you're reading along with us, start from this next chapter with Catelyn, which starts with Two Days' Ride from Riverham. should be page 504. You're reading as far as page 640, almost 150 pages. And uh, where you stop is a chapter about Tyrion, which begins, if you die stupidly, I'm going to feed your body to the goats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Dave, do it in your Tyrion voice. Oh,
1: God. All right, I'll give it a try um
0: if you die stupidly I'll feed you to the goats <laughs> yeah so reading as far as there um the only other thing to say as ever um if you've any comments to make on the book or the podcast all you need to do send them to shark liver oil podcast at gmail.com That's shark liver at gmail.com or uh, you can get us on Twitter we are at shark liver oil rather Good, uh, one or two bits of responses on Twitter this week, um, and also a couple of favouritings. One of our tweets got favorited by both Joffrey Baratheon and Daenerys Targaryen. Shit,
1: are they on Twitter?
0: That's brilliant. It so yeah, I love the idea of smartphones <laughs> in in Westeros. But if you want to get involved, yeah, we are at Shark Liver Oil on Twitter. So uh, give us a follow, and um, and that's about it, Dave. Uh, anything to sum up this uh, this part of the book? only to say honestly George I hope you know what you're doing (laughs) and uh, with that the only thing I want to say is the lamen of the lazarene all right that'll do